Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm recording in the Red Rock Mesas of Southern Utah. I've spent the last week driving through some of the most beautiful country I've ever seen. Started in Zion National Park and then uh, headed to Bryce Canyon. And currently, I am amidst near total silence outside of Capitol Reef National Park. And I've taken this time to really get quiet within. There are some beautiful John Muir quotes about how we have to get out into nature to quiet the mind, to get back into our true north, to, to hear our own inner voices. And for me, I've been thinking a lot about that. I've been thinking a lot about the, the noise that comes with urban and modern living and how it can confuse our own inner signal our own inner knowing. And somehow, the best mechanic I know for tapping back into that place of inner knowing is getting out into the wilds. We've known that, I think, as humans since time immemorial. We've known that, that nature is medicine. But I think now more than ever, uh, we're being called back to a reminder of the centrality of nature and our interdependence with it, uh, reminding ourselves that we are nature. Uh, as much as <laughs> technology would like to, to make us cyborgs, I think it, in, a, in our essence we are, we are nature. And so as I've been out here uh, by myself, I've been struck with a few realizations I'd love to share with you guys. One is that as we sort of rewild the mind, as we move away from that, that sense of, of civilization and the noise within, one of the shifts I've noticed is the shift from doing to being. I have came out here and I felt like I always needed to get to the next place. And I realized it was this muscle I've built up over time as it relates to doing and associating who I am and the success of my endeavors with doing more. And I think many of us uh, can relate to that because I feel like it's a narrative that is um, further reified by society. Yet what I'm struck by is when I take a moment to breathe and I've been really re recommitting to my meditation practice and taking the time to really sit in the silence, which at first was almost deafening. Uh, it's, it's crazy when you're, when you're in a place with no noise and amidst the sound of silence, it can be truly uh, disruptive to a nervous system that has become acquainted with noise, with stimulus. But in that beingness, in that taking the time to sit in the stillness, I've come to appreciate the value of that beingness. And I think all of us, or many of us at least, know that intellectually. I've 
you know, I studied for years Buddhism and and a variety of different, you know, wisdom traditions that uh, call us to being. But taking the time to practice outside of the confines of our normal environment is something truly powerful. And what I've been contending with amidst that kind of phase of of beingness is really what stories am I living in? What stories am I living out of? Which of those stories have been handed down generationally? Which of those stories have been handed to me by society? Which of those stories do I hold myself as truth? And are those stories that still continue to empower me, still continue to serve me in the evolution of this great dance called life. And what I've come to realize is that some of the stories do not serve me. Some of the stories have come down from ancestral patterns, from ineffective stories that perhaps my grandparents taught my parents, uh, ways of being or seeing that, that, um, continue on generationally some of them of course are are amazing and and empowering but some I've come to realize really really do not serve and so from a place of full responsibility because it's the only place we can truly be empowered to operate from I've started to look at what new stories do I want to live in what new stories do I want to live out of and how from a place of being can I commit to and remind myself of the importance of that new story? You know, I'm reminded of the wisdom of some of the elders I've had the great privilege of sitting with. And what I always find remarkable about the way that the elders, in my experience, communicate is that they have a deep wisdom But that wisdom doesn't come across in prescription, in a dictation of how one should be, but rather in a story, in a parable. And in that story, in that parable, kind of taps from a place of of the listening you into a deeper primordial sense of being in which archetypes and myths live and dance. And in those stories, we often find our own answers. And that's one of the beauties, I think, of the way of of many of the indigenous elders I've been fortunate enough to sit with is they share stories such that you can find the answers yourself. And of course, they're sharing those stories from a deep sense of listening, not just to your words, but to the words behind the words, to the way your body is standing or sitting or slouching to the, the 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 narrative behind the face value the narrative behind the way that you are you know expressing yourself because i think with all of us there's the words we share but then there's the deeper truth beneath the words like the great icebergs you know there's the conscious and then the unconscious you know the conscious which we make apparent which is the tip of the iceberg but which is driven principally by the unconscious, which is the the base of the iceberg beneath the sea. And I think that stories uh, 
kind of take the whole picture into account and enable us to pull from the subconscious as well as the collective unconscious in such a way that we can find our own way. And that's why coming into nature is so valuable because like a story, it, it teaches, but it teaches without a, a cogent agenda. It simply allows for a process of discovery. And yesterday I took a walk. Uh, I was driving through this incredible expanse called the 12 Highway here in the United States. It's a scenic byway. It's one of the most beautiful roads I've ever driven on. And as you drive on the 12, you're, you're, you're exposed to such profound, profound nature. You know, red rock mesas to aspen-lined uh, mountainous uh, regions to, you know, incredible. There's a, there's a place called the Escalante National Monument, which is 1.3 million acres of what they say are the wildest lands remaining in the United States. Lands, you know, strewn with dinosaur fossils and, and caves painted by ancient peoples. Truly numinous, uh, truly numinous place. And I had had two people that I've met as I walk solo along these, you know, nature paths. One, interestingly enough, was a police officer uh, that saw me after I did a night hike and, and thought perhaps I was going to sleep in my van. And I said, no, and not here. And then I said, I was going to go down to this place. He said, oh, no, it's too hot. Why don't you sleep? And he pointed me out to this incredible gated part of BLM land where I was alone for miles. And, you know, I think one of the things we also realize is kind of like the, the, the myth the Joseph Campbell myth of as we walk through nature, we come across guides, some in human form, some not in human form. But in human form, I met this, one was this police officer, and the, and the second was a gentleman I had asked to, to take a picture for me down in the narrows of Zion National Park because I was by myself and wanted to capture the moment. And both had said, you know, you got to check out the 12. And so when I hear something more than once, I take note. And so as I was driving down the 12, I was struck by this petrified forest. And I decided to walk through the petrified forest. And as I walked through this forest, I, I sat with these ancient, ancient logs that over millions of years had turned into these beautiful rainbow fossilized uh, relics imbued with memory. And as I sat amongst these ancient trees, now turned to stone, I thought about time. And I thought about primordial time. And then I thought th about the preciousness of our time, our, our limited time on this planet, and how fast it goes in relationship to these these layers of red rock that I see before me at the moment, you know, the tip of which are maybe 200 million years old and the base of which are four or five hundred, six hundred million years old. And on the tip of which are these beautiful rainbow petrified logs 
that that just astound the eye. Um, and they were teachers to me as well. And uh, as I felt their coldness, because they had still been cold from the 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 night, the the cold air of the night, and and I sort of sat there listening. I tuned into my own signal, if you will. And I thought all about all the times that, you know, I've I've been with trees and how trees have always been uh, gracious teachers. My mother in my high school yearbook uh, took a picture of me climbing trees throughout my life, from trees in Sweden to the tree in the backyard in Chicago where I grew up. And what I've always loved about trees and what I'm learning about them in, in sort of this mysterious language of trees where we t- I've just started learning about the mycelial networks that, that used to communicate between tree roots and how the largest living organism on the planet is that these aspen groves that connect with their roots below the surface. But what I sort of am getting to is that I feel like the trees, like also the guides, you know, this police officer and this man that told me to drive the 12, Trees are also uh, teachers, and as I, you know, as I look to history and I think about folks like, you know, Siddhartha, who's, who became the Buddha by sitting under the, the sacred Bodhi tree. In Buddhism, th- things that are, are, mo- are most sacred are relics of the body and relics of use, which means uh, relics from the Buddha himself and relics that he used to achieve nirvana or enlightenment. And... And so, as I think about the tree, I think about a sacred tool, you know, and, and I, I, it brings me back to that notion of beingness, um, of, you know, with, with Siddhartha, with the Buddha, he sat under that tree for 10 days and, and, and was just in the process of being. And with my Western mind, at first, I thought to myself, well, it doesn't seem like you're doing much to achieve this state. But then I realized how much goes into sitting still and just being and how it's its own rigorous practice and from that place how we start to listen to the deeper stories all around us imbued in the trees imbued in the rocks imbued in the land and i i really felt that yesterday i really felt as i drove through these different landscapes that each of these pieces of land held deep numinous stories stories carried and held over thousands of years by various tribes and peoples. And I thought about my experience doing men's business near Uluru, the most sacred place in Australia with an Aboriginal elder who had told me that the entirety of their land was mapped through story, which is how they could go on walkabout, how someone without any clothes or tools could walk for for days, hundreds of days, alone in the middle of a desert because they knew sort of where to look. They were in the listening with the land. And of course, today, if I were to attempt that, I wouldn't last very long because in modern life, we've, we've lost the art of listening. And so the main lessons for me so far have been around this notion of taking time to listen and from that place being in a state of being and letting that being drive us. So I hope you guys are doing super well. 
I hope you are taking time wherever you are to be in the listening. For me, I'm going to drive today to Moab, to uh, Arches National Park, which is one of the most beautiful places. But I'm also going to take the time to just be. You know, this morning I woke up feeling like I had the urge and need to, to, to go. And then I realized as I sat on this rock, which is where I'm sitting now as I speak to you, that, in fact, I don't need to rush off. Sometimes the things we think are there are, 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 are things we're chasing because we want a certain sensation. Whereas if we just take the time to be and sit with who we are and sit with the stories around us and sit with the stories inside of us, slowly those stories come to meet each other. And in that meeting, I think there's an opportunity for a reckoning, for a true realization of which of those stories get to be shed like the leaves of a tree and turn into compost for new growth. And which of those stories serve, which of those stories get to be become codified as bark or branches reaching out to new to do, to new life and new lands and new opportunity. And so right now I'm in the process of shedding and composting that which does not serve. And from that place of being, stepping more into the place of growth and opportunity and branching out to new lands, to new places, to new stories such that uh, the tree which is me uh, finds its appropriate roots, finds its appropriate mycelial network if you will, to communicate with others such as yourself in such a way that we can uh, create a symbiotic ecosystem and create shared stories that empower and nurture our collective soil. So from the Red Rock Mesas of Southern Utah, I bid all you guys so much gratitude for listening. I'm going to do some more kind of stories from the road. So I really consider this idea of the mythic in nature and just share my sort of downloads along the way. I hope you find it valuable. I will likely although who knows, uh, but I will likely return to regular programming and interviews, etc. when I return. But for now, I'm going to take the time to just share some of my thoughts and reflections along the way. So I hope it's valuable. Uh, if it is, uh, please feel free to, uh, to reach out, send me a note at Michael Trainer, um, and I uh, always love hearing from you. So sending you guys lots of love.